the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. What we see here is, is even as God judged Judah, he provided grace and mercy to them through the governor, Gedaliah. He was the governor that the people of Judah needed at this time, following such great calamity. As judgment is falling, the hand of the Lord was against them. At the same time, his other hand is showing them mercy by giving them a governor like Gedaliah. God's judgment has a balance of justice and mercy. Even as God judged Judah for their sin, he provided Gedaliah, a noble governor for them. In the message today, Pastor Dan will explain how God offers you mercy. He'll encourage you not to turn your back to God, but to accept the gift he's given you so freely. It might be easier in the moment to choose the life you want, but at the end of the day, there will always be a void and an emptiness in your heart if God isn't present. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 40 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Last week in our study in chapter 39, remember it was a watershed moment in Israel's history because we saw the final destruction of the city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians and the people of Jerusalem and the people of Judah were carried away as captives to Babylon. In that context though, if you look back in chapter 39, verse 11, chapter 39, verse 11, there we see, it says, now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, take him and look after him and do him no harm, but do to him just as he says to you. And then down in verse 14, then they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, that he should take him home so he dwelt among the people. So in the midst of this destruction of Jerusalem, and earlier in chapter 39, the Babylonians burned the city, they burned the king's palace, they burned the temple, they're, they're destroying the city. But in the midst of that, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, shows favor to Jeremiah, the prophet. And we don't know how Nebuchadnezzar knew about Jeremiah. Maybe he heard or he learned that Jeremiah was telling the people of Judah to just surrender to the Babylonians, that that was God's plan, 
uh, for them to survive was to, to surrender for their survival. But somehow he, he heard about Jeremiah the prophet. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, commanded his commander, instructed his commander, Nebuzaradan, to look after Jeremiah and to take care of him. And now in chapter 40, chapter 40 begins by giving us the details of Jeremiah's release under Nebuzaradan in verses 1 to 6. Uh, So now chapter 40, it says in verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive uh, to Babylon. So initially, Jeremiah the prophet was imprisoned with the rest of the people of Jerusalem and Judah. So Nebuzaradan had to find Jeremiah among all the other captives. And we're told here in verse 1, that all of the captives of Jerusalem and Judah were brought to the city of Ramah. And Ramah was located about five miles north of Jerusalem. And the Babylonians, they used Ramah as kind of a staging point or a staging center where they brought all of the captives of Judah, all the captives of Jerusalem. They brought them to Ramah to deport them off to Babylon. So all the captives were brought to Ramah, they were processed there, and from there they were sent to Babylon. And it's in Ramah that Nebuzaradan found Jeremiah among all the other captives and found him there at that staging point or that processing center, found him there to release him. Now the the name Ramah, the town of Ramah, it may sound familiar to some of you, we, we saw it back in chapter 31. If you want to turn back to chapter 31, there's this prophecy given. Kind of a strange prophecy, but it's a, a very important prophecy that we see fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus Christ uh, in the time of Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. So again, in verse 15, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, Rachel's tomb was in the, the general area of Ramah in, in Bethlehem. And, and what it's describing here is kind of symbolically. So we have a saying in our in our our culture, you know, person is spinning in their grave, right? We don't literally mean they're spinning in their grave. Well, well, here, symbolically, Rachel was in her grave weeping for her children 
as they were gathered at Ramah to be carried off to Babylon. You know, as, as the people of Judah are gathered there at Ramah near Rachel's grave, you know, the idea is she's, she's weeping in her grave because people are no more. They're being carried away to Babylon. Now, this, this verse from Jeremiah 31 about Rachel weeping, it's quoted in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18. In the context of the wise men coming from the east, they go to Jerusalem, they go to Herod the Great, and they say, we are here to worship the one born the king of the Jews. Herod the Great was appointed the king of the Jews. Jesus is born the king of the Jews. So Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne. He, he's the true king of the Jews. So he is a threat to Herod the Great's power and sovereignty as, as king. And if you remember the story, uh, Herod the Great ordered the killing of all the male children in Bethlehem, and this is the region of Bethlehem, the surrounding towns, all of the male children from two years old and younger in an attempt to kill the baby Jesus. And this verse is quoted in that passage in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, that that event of Herod killing the male children, the babies in Bethlehem, is a fulfillment of this prophecy that once again, Rachel is weeping for her children because of the great calamity that was coming upon her people. Now, back to chapter 40 of Jeremiah, verse 2. Now, I want you to look very carefully here at what Nebuzaradan said to Jeremiah when he released him. And remember, Nebuzaradan, he's a Babylonian, he's a pagan, He's an idol worshiper. Uh, the Babylonians worshipped a god named Marduk. Not Marmaduke, that's, uh, that's a cartoon dog, but Marduk is, was their god. So this, this guy's a pagan. And it says in verse 2, And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, Look, the Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. And notice the word Lord there is in all capital letters in your Bible. It's, it's the name Yahweh. So Nebuzaradan, the Babylonian, says to Jeremiah, Yahweh, your God, has pronounced this doom on Jerusalem and Judah. Now the Lord, now Yahweh, has brought it and has done just as he said, because you, you people have sinned, against Yahweh and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. So he, again, he, he, he's saying that the Lord did this. Your God did this. A non-believer knew that this was the Lord's doing. The people of God refused to acknowledge their sin and refused to acknowledge that this was God's doing but it was obvious to a non-believer that this was the Lord's doing. It's bad when a non-believer rebukes a believer for not acting like a believer. And that's what's happening here. <laughs> this guy doesn't even know the Lord. But he knows this is the Lord. This is your God that did this. And the people won't even admit that. So verse 4, and now look, he says, I free you this day from the chains that were on your hand, 
If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you in Babylon. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, well, then remain here. See, all the land is before you, wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. Now, while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuzaradan said, go back to Gedaliah, the son of Hiakim, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah and dwell with him among the people or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. And so the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift. He gave him some money, he gave him some provisions and he let him go. And so this this takes place in, in Ramah, again, where all, these, all the captives are brought and loaded up to be carried away to Babylon. And it's here that Nebuzaradan gives Jeremiah the choice. Pastor Dan will share the second half of today's message in just a moment. But first, he'd like to take a moment to tell you how you can receive prayer for your needs. Do you need prayer today? Every week we receive prayer requests from our listeners. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would like to pray for you right now. You can share your prayer request with us through our website, calvaryec.com. Again, that's calvaryec.com or through our church app or by calling us at 410-491-4592. And can I ask you to pray for us as well? Pray for the Ring of Truth radio ministry as we bring the Word of God to those who need it. Thanks, Pastor Dan, and thank you for praying. Now, let's finish today's message. Jeremiah can go to Babylon or stay with the remnant that are left behind in in Judah. If if he went to Babylon, uh, Nebuzaradan promised that he would take good care of him. There in in Babylon, you know, he would provide for him, provide a home for him, a pension, benefits of of living in in Babylon. But if he wanted to stay in Judah, he could stay in Judah. It was up to Jeremiah to decide. Now, again, remember the Babylonians have just come in and destroyed the land. They've destroyed Jerusalem. They've burned it to the ground. The the country is in ruins. Uh, Without question, life would have been easier and better for Jeremiah if he went to Babylon and and lived there. But Jeremiah chose to stay with the remnant that was left in the land of Judah. Jeremiah, I mentioned this last time, but Jeremiah had been uh, accused of being a traitor and a sympathizer to the Babylonians by the fact that he told the people that they should just surrender to the Babylonians. So the people saw him as a traitor. And yet we see here that he chose to stay in Judah, which shows his loyalty. His loyalty was to his own nation and his loyalty was to his own people. He was not a traitor. Now verse 5 tells us that someone named Gedaliah was appointed governor over Judah by the Babylonians after the fall of of Jerusalem. And, and really the rest of chapter 40 and chapter 41 are, are about Gedaliah, the governor. 
So the Babylonians, they come in, they conquer the land, they destroy Jerusalem, they take everybody captive, they leave this small remnant of poor and elderly and weak in the land to care for the land, and they appoint Gedaliah as governor over the land. Now, Gedaliah was a Judean. He was a Jew. He wasn't a Babylonian. His name means Jehovah is great. Gedaliah was a, was a good governor over Judah. And he was a governor that was appointed for such a time as this. Right after they've been destroyed by the Babylonians, he was the right guy to govern the people of Judah. It's amazing how sometimes in history God will appoint someone at just the right time to lead a nation through a difficulty or through a trial of some kind. Gedaliah was the right guy. He's not a harsh governor. He's a good governor. And what Gedaliah attempted to do as governor was to bring some sense of peace back to the nation, some some sense of unity and stability to the remnant left there in Judah. And so what we see here is, is even as God judged Judah, he provided grace and mercy to them through the governor, Gedaliah. He was the governor that the people of Judah needed at this time, following such great calamity. As judgment is falling, the hand of the Lord was against them. At the same time, his other hand is showing them mercy by giving them a governor like Gedaliah. It it reminds me of, uh, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they rebelled against God, and God punished them. He, he, He judged them for their disobedience, and as part of their judgment, they were sent out, or they were removed uh, from, from the garden. They were sent out of the Garden of Eden. But we're told in Genesis that just before God cast out Adam and Eve, he made tunics of skin for them and clothed them. As, as he's judging them, he's providing for their nakedness, to cover their nakedness. He's still caring for them. He's still providing for them. As, as he's judging their sin, he's, he's showing mercy at the same time. And as God judged the nation of Judah for their sin, he provided Gedaliah for them. Now look at verse 6. So then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, in Mitzpah. Note that, in Mitzpah and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. Gedaliah governed the the land of Judah from the city of Mitzpah, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed. Jerusalem was burned to the ground. He could not govern from Jerusalem as the capital, so he chose to govern from Mitzpah. Now, why Mitzpah? Of all the places he could govern from, why did Gedaliah choose Mitzpah? Well, it doesn't tell us, but there's a couple passages of Scripture that I think give us a clue as to why he chose Mitzpah. 
There, there were two significant events in Israel's history that took place at Mitzvah. Symbolic events. Two events that the remnant that's left in the land after such a great calamity, two events they need to be reminded of. Now, I don't think that the Babylonians knew the historical significance of the town of Mitzvah to the people of Israel, but the people of Israel that are left in the land, they know the significance of that town in their history. And so, turn with me, first of all, to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. And just to give you some some context here, 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines came and attacked Israel. And do you remember the, the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them against the Philistines? And they treated the Ark as like a good luck charm or a lucky rabbit's foot. And they brought it with them into battle and they lost it. The Philistines captured the Ark, which was the, you know, the, where the mercy seat of God was located. The glory of God rested upon that Ark. And so in a sense, the presence of God was no longer with them. In fact, you remember Ichabod was declared. The glory of God had departed from Israel. Eventually they got the Ark back. The Philistines returned it, which is an interesting story all on its own that we don't have time for. And it was brought to Kirjath-Jerim. And that's 1 Samuel chapter 7 now. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it's, it's returned by the Philistines to a place called Bet Shemesh. Uh, and then when it's returned, the people of, of Bet Shemesh decide to take the lid off the ark and look into the ark. And God struck them down for doing this. And so everybody's freaked out now. So they just take it to Kirjath-Jerim to some guy's house, Abinadab, and they, they just put it in his house. And so now the Ark of the Covenant is just sitting in this guy's living room. And they appoint his son, Eliezer, to keep the Ark of the Lord. First Samuel 7, verse 2, So it was that the Ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. How long, you ask? It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So, so the people believe that God has left them. That the glory of God has departed. The presence of God has departed. They're lamenting, it says, after the Lord. They, they thought God had abandoned them as a nation. And so the Ark of the Covenant, which was uh, where, the, where the presence of God dwelt, it's just sitting in some guy's living room for 20 years. And for, that, for 20 years, the people are, are lamenting the fact that they believed God had abandoned them completely as a people and as a nation. So verse 3, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve Him only, and he will deliver you, deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all of Israel to Mitzvah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. He asked- 
of Jeremiah at a glance. It seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile. But think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crack. Rings true.